Jesus. You know, I once again am just in awe at how the Spirit works, at how the Spirit moves in our midst. I didn't know what the um, Sunday school lesson was going to be on. I'm going to be honest with you. And the song that we sang there after the opening this morning was, Teach me, O Lord, to number my days. Three score years and ten. Seventy years. It's not very long. For me, it's only about third and a half years. That's all I have to live if it's three score years and ten. I've already lived more than what I have if it's just that. Judgment is coming. And this morning, life is like the sand. You know, if we were to have one of those little timers up here with the sand running through it, for each one of you that's sitting here, we don't know. None of us knows how much sand is on the top anymore. That's left. It could end this afternoon for one of us. We don't know. And as I think of that, and I think of looking into the Word of God this morning. I wonder. Sometimes we come to this time of the year, this council, and it has burdened my heart already where we have the eye, where it seems like we become calloused. And all of a sudden, council comes around, and well, let's see, I should make sure that everything's right in my life. You know, I struggle with that a little bit, and I'm not saying that's how it is, but I struggle with that a little bit because if that's how we look at it, or maybe revivals come around, and well now, okay, what? I'm going to make sure that I'm all right with God. Listen, friends, if that's the way we live life, you know what that reminds me of? That reminds me kind of like living life on the edge. It's a lot more than that. We must be ready. Today He could come for any one of us. <clears throat> Let's be ready that we could have communion at any given day. Not just all of a sudden communion is coming. Let's make sure we're right. How can we and this is going to come out later in the message. How can we sit here and have struggles and have issues in life and think that, well, communion is coming around two times a year, so I'll get it right then, but the rest of the time it really doesn't matter. That is not the Christian life, friends. At least not the one that I think is the Christian life. That's not the one that I am going to be living like. Because that is not the Christian life. That's some form of religion, could I say. So this morning I was wondering where do I go with a message and a few weeks ago I was already thinking of this. <clears throat> and the word came to me, fellowship. And the title of the message this morning is Fellowship 
with God and man. I would like to look at how important this idea of fellowship is on a daily basis with God. First of all, it must be there. And then out of that flows the fellowship with our brothers and sisters. Fellowship, the word, it means companionship, society, mutual association of persons on equal and friendly terms. It has the idea of partnership, a joint interest as fellowship and pain. That idea of company, a state of being together. You know, this morning we were all made to want fellowship. It's something that is within us. It's something that is born within us, that we are born with. We want to be with people. But you know what? Today in our world, and for sure in our country, or in this country that we live in, this thing of social media and individualistic, the individualistic mindset is going counter to what true fellowship is really all about. It's ironic, though, that in the social media realm or in that world, there is still this thing that we want to try to interact with people, but it is a counterfeit. Okay? Because you get on Facebook... And you have Facebook, and your, you, you, your realm is around all the friends that you have on Facebook. Do you realize that they are not your real friends most of the time? Because when something bad happens and you want a real friend, those aren't the ones that are around. They're gone. Because they're just someplace in the cloud, kind of like. Okay? But it's ironic that even on these social media platforms, there is still the idea that I want to have some fellowship with someone so we have our friends, and we put this on, and we get the likes, and we get this, and all the other things that go with it, comments, whatever. And we base it off of that. But that's not fellowship this morning. Turn to 1 John. <clears throat> it went through my mind to read the entire book of 1 John this morning. I'm not going to, but you can read it in about 10 to 15 minutes. Depending how fast you read. The other night I read it as I was sitting and thinking of this message. We're not going to read the whole book, but we're going to look at different portions of this book this morning with this idea of fellowship. We're going to read the first chapter at this time and then go from there. 1 John chapter 1, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father, and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father, and with His Son, Jesus Christ." And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. This then is the message which we have heard of him. And declare unto you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin." 
If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. <coughs> Excuse me. In the Greek, this word fellowship is koinonia, which you're probably all familiar with. And it has the idea, it's a common word in the New Testament. And it has the idea, which we already alluded to with the um, description there from the dictionary of fellowship, but it is translated fellowship, it's translated communion, partnership, togetherness, and just that oneness, that wanting to be together. That's what fellowship is. And the first part here, I would like to look at our fellowship with Jesus Christ. Okay? We must have a fellowship with Jesus Christ first of all. That must take place. And we're going to see that from this first chapter here in 1 John. And by the way, 1 John is a very, just a powerful book. It's an amazing book. It has so much in it. And this morning, we're going to see how direct and to the point it is. It's not, John doesn't beat around the bush here. He says it the way it is. So in the first two verses here, what is John saying? He starts out, that which was from the beginning. Is he saying that which was from the beginning way back, as in Genesis? In the beginning was the... You know, the earth was without form and void, and God created the earth. Is that what he's referring to? No, I think what he is referring to is he's going back. Yes, maybe he might be going back to that. And he's saying, in the beginning was the Word. And that is what John starts out in his epistle, John. But in the beginning, back, he's saying, when we as disciples, the beginning of the age, this new Testament error, the new error that Jesus brought about, which we have heard, which we have seen, and which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled. Of what? Jesus Christ. That is what he's saying. This is Jesus. And he's saying, dear brethren and sisters, I have seen him. I touched him. I talked with him. He talked with me. This is who he's referring to here. Then he goes on and he says, that life, this Jesus, was manifested. And he once again says, we have seen it. And we bear witness. And we show unto you what? The eternal life that Jesus Christ brought. And then he says, which was with the Father. In other words, Jesus was with the Father, but he came down and he became a physical human being. He was a man and we touched him. We saw him. We handled him. We talked with him. We heard his voice. But he was with the Father. That is what John is saying here in the first two verses. And he was manifested unto us, unto the, unto the disciples. But now, <clears throat> what he is saying here in these two verses also, which there may have been some argument at this time that Jesus was just a spirit. That's all he was. 
And John is saying he was not a spirit. We actually saw him. Okay, so he's putting to rest that myth. Then he goes on and he says, this Jesus, this person, we are declaring unto you. Why? That you might have fellowship with us. And then he says, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. See, fellowship with the Father, with Jesus. We must have that. And then, he goes on in verse 6. He says, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. Notice that little word, if. If we say that we have fellowship with him. And then he says, and walk in darkness. So you know what I'm getting from this? The idea I get from this as I was studying into this and reading other commentators on this. The idea is here that we can say that we have fellowship with Jesus Christ, but we're actually walking in darkness. That's a scary place to be this morning. It would seem that we can think that we have a relationship with Jesus Christ, but it's all just head knowledge. Nothing more. What does 2 Timothy 3.5 say? Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. That is what I get from this. It is saying, I have fellowship with Jesus Christ. Yes, I do. Oh, I have fellowship with Him. But we're walking in darkness. So we really don't have fellowship with Jesus Christ. You know, this idea of having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof or saying that we, walk in, that we are walking in fellowship with Jesus but we're actually walking in darkness and we're lying by saying that. This is those who can sit in church on a Sunday morning because that's the right thing to do but the rest of the week their lives look like the world. They might even think that they're keeping themselves pure by the way they dress, by what they're doing, by the things they're professing. But there's no power in their lives and they're really more concerned with what people think of them than what Jesus thinks of them. That is, I think, what John is saying here. You realize that hell is going to be full of people with good intentions and people who thought they were doing the right thing. That's a scary place. That's a scary thing to think about. That's a thing that is frightening when I think about that. That we can have all the good intentions and think we're doing the right thing, but we have no fellowship with the Father, with Jesus Christ. You know, if we're walking in the light, it says here, In verse 7, let's go on. If we walk in the light as He is in the light, what? We have fellowship one with another. You notice this? So now we get the fellowship right with Jesus Christ and all of a sudden we have fellowship with one another. You 
You know, there is such a thing because of how I stated earlier that mankind wants to have fellowship. They want to have companionship. They want to have partnership. They want to be with people. So I believe that unbelievers can have fellowship with each other. You know, that's what they, they want it. You take men that go to the, um, to the bar to have a drink. It's not maybe necessarily just the drink that they're after. They have a commonness there. They have a oneness there. There is a fellowship there with the others who are sitting there at that bar. So unbelievers can have fellowship. It's not the true fellowship. As believers, we have a fellowship that's wonderful. Why? Because it is centered around Jesus Christ. But first of all, we have to get the fellowship with Christ right, and then the fellowship with Christ's people will follow. John MacArthur said this, Anybody in fellowship with Jesus Christ is also in fellowship with anybody else in fellowship with Jesus Christ. In other words, you can't separate it. Once you're in fellowship with Jesus Christ and you have the fellowship with Jesus Christ lined up, this one here, you will have fellowship this way with other believers. So, this morning, if you don't have fellowship with Jesus Christ, how do you get it? Let's continue reading. And the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. It's through the blood of Jesus Christ that we have that fellowship with Jesus Christ. That we gain that fellowship with Jesus Christ. Now, I have a question. Is it possible to fall out of fellowship? You know, we hear that term sometimes. I believe it is. But I'm going to say this. It's not Jesus Christ who's cutting the fellowship, okay? It's you and I. It's you and I that are severing that line of fellowship. It's conditional. I don't believe, you know, that as soon as someone sins as a believer, that right now the fellowship is over with. No. It's strained. It's not the way it was. There's something there. And we're going to have to look at verses 1 and 2 of chapter 2. My little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So this morning, friends, if you have that fellowship with Jesus Christ, and it is right, and it is there, but you fall into sin, there is an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ. He's sitting there, and He is willing to free you of that sin, and to once again have that relationship restored with Him. It's wonderful, is it not? Let's go over to chapter 2 and read verses 12 to 17. I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for His name's sake. 
I write unto you fathers because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you young men because ye have overcome the wicked one. I write unto you little children because ye have known the father. I have written unto you fathers because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I have written unto you young men because ye are strong and the word of God abideth in you and ye have overcome the wicked one. Love not the world neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh the and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. I read these verses because we have that relationship that fellowship with Jesus Christ. And then John goes on and he says, he talks here and he's referring to little children, to fathers, to young men. And I don't think that he's necessarily talking to little children and he's necessarily talking to fathers and he's necessarily talking to young men. I think what he is referring to is when you first came to Jesus Christ, you are, that was the little child part. And fathers, he's referring to someone who has had experience and who looks back and sees what he has come from and what has taken place. And then young men, and this is where it gets exciting, but young men are those who have vigor, who have, you know, young men, they, they look at themselves and they have strength and they're wanting to compare their muscles with, the, with other young men and they have life and they have a lot of energy. And he's saying, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. And then he says, I have written unto you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the wicked one. Continue on is what he's saying. Even though you are old in life, in, in physical life, and maybe you have walked with the Lord a long time, continue on as a young man and have energy and don't give up. Because he goes right into verse 15 and he says, love not the world. Why does he say that? After he says, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one, I think what he is saying is he is saying, beware, the world is there and don't you love it. <clears throat> so, we have the fellowship with Jesus Christ. But the question I ask is, where is your love this morning? Where is your fellowship at this morning? Is it for Christ? Or are you having fellowship with the world? Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. We're going to read verses 14 to 18. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. 
Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Where is your love this morning? We just read. Can't be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. What fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? It doesn't mix like oil and water. Don't mix. It cannot be done. What communion hath light with darkness? You know, these are all simple things. And then verse 16 says, What agreement hath the temple of God with idols? Where is the temple of God this morning? This church building? Well, if it's this church building, then okay, we're doing, we're doing okay. We don't have any idols in here. No, the temple of God is within each one of you. And he's saying, What agreement hath the temple of God with idols? Because he goes on and he says, I'm going to dwell in you. And I'm going to walk in you. And I will be your God. And you're going to be my people. And then because of that, he says this, Wherefore come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. So this morning, back to, back to um, 1 John. Touch not the unclean thing. Where are you at? You know, it, the, what comes to mind is Matthew chapter 6. You cannot serve God and mammon. There is something here with this love not the world because the love of the world is going to sever your fellowship with Jesus Christ. And this morning... Where are you and I at? Verse 16 says, the lust of the flesh. That what this flesh wants. It wants it, and that's what I'm going to have. The lust of the eyes. If I see it, I'm going to get it. And the pride of life. Because it builds me up. You know what I get out of that? I, I, I. Reminds me a little bit and I don't want to be too hard on him, but it reminds me a little bit of Hezekiah in his last 15 years of his life. What is the music that you're listening to this morning? What are you doing or watching on social media? What about if you do, what about the movies that you might be watching? What about the places you visit? What about the house, the vehicles, the clothes that you buy? It's going to tell you whether you love the world or not. Let's make sure we have fellowship with Jesus Christ. Now, let's continue on. What about our fellowship with each other? 
remember, if we have fellowship with Jesus Christ, we have fellowship with each other, with fellow believers. Let's back up to verse 8 of chapter 2. And we're going to read to verse 11, and then we're going to go over to chapter 3. Again, a new commandment I write unto you, which thing is true in him and in you. Because the darkness is past, and the true light now shineth. He that saith he is in the light, and hateth his brother, is in darkness even until now. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. But he that hateth his brother is in darkness, and walketh in darkness, and knoweth not whither he goeth, because that darkness hath blinded his eyes. Go to chapter 3, verse 10. In this the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. For this is the message that ye have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother. And wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil, and his brother's righteous. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. We know that we have passed from death into life, because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer, and ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? How's our fellowship with each other? He says it pretty plainly here. If we hate our brother, we are in darkness. We abide in death if we hate our brother. It's that simple. We can also tell if we have passed from death unto life, if we have love for the brothers or not. What does he mean when he says in verse 8 of chapter 2, again a new commandment I write unto you. The cross reference has, goes back to John chapter 13 verses 34 and 35 and they read like this. A new commandment I give unto you that ye love one another as I have loved you that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples if ye have love one to another. I got this from a, commentary, uh, from a commentary. A Christian who harbors hatred for a fellow Christian has lost all real sense of direction. Like a man wandering aimlessly in the dark, he faces potentially grave dangers. Did you catch that? One who harbors hatred for a fellow Christian. This is not talking about Hatred to someone out in the world. You shouldn't have that either. But that's not what this is talking about. Has lost all real sense of direction. That's a scary place to be at. Not. If you are harboring hatred within your heart and you don't have love for the brotherhood, you are as a man walking aimlessly with no place to go. In the dark is what it says, and you face potentially grave dangers. 
If you're walking in the dark without any light, and you're just walking along, you have no idea where you're going. It's a place you have never been at. You're just aimlessly walking along. There is all sorts of things that can trip you up. Let's go back over to chapter 3. Verse 12 brings out Cain. And I'm going to just read from Genesis chapter 4, verses 2 to 7. You don't have to turn there if you don't want to. I have it here in my notes. And she again bare his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in process of time it came to pass that Cain brought the, of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord, and Abel he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect, un, respect unto Abel and to his offering, but unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. Notice what it says here in verse 12 of our text of John, 1 John. It says, Who was of that wicked one. Cain was of the devil, is what it's saying here. When we have anger and hatred, we are not only serving the wicked one, but we are of him, is what it seems to be saying here. Let's be aware of this. Because it's a grave danger. What was wrong with Cain's offering? Didn't the children of Israel offer of the fruit of the ground? Sure they did. The problem was that Cain was self-centered. And he was going to do things his way. And God warned him about the sin that was lying at the door. You know the problem is with someone who is self-centered and wanting to do things his way, they... they his way, they're going to have problems with anger and hatred and not have love for their brothers. Because the problem is a person like that becomes jealous of the other person and why the other person got promoted or honored and why he isn't. And it causes them to start harboring bitterness and hatred toward that person. I'm not here preaching a message on forgiveness this morning. We just had a message in, during the week of revivals on forgiveness. What I want to bring out to us this morning is that hatred and not having love for one another severs the fellowship between each other. And not only does it do that, but it severs the fellowship with Jesus Christ that we have there. So it's severing it all. Turn to Matthew chapter 5. And this is to continue on this thought of not loving and having anger and frustration or allowing frustration. You know, frustration with a brother can, if not taken care of, will go to anger. Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 to 26. Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill, 
and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother Rekha shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say thou fool shall be in danger of hellfire. Therefore if, therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberst that thy brother hath ought against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. Agree with thine adversary quickly, whilst thou art in the way with him. Lest at any time the adversary deliver thee to the judge, and the judge deliver thee to the officer, and thou be cast into prison. Verily I say unto thee, Thou shalt by no means come out thence, till thou hast paid the uttermost farthing. What is Jesus saying here? You have heard that it has been said, Thou shalt not kill. And whosoever shall kill is going to be in danger of the judgment. Then Jesus ups the standard. Okay? Because each one of us sitting here this morning agrees with the idea that we are not to kill. We don't have to argue long on that one. We will not kill. But Jesus said, Whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Rekha, shall be in danger of the council. What Jesus is saying here is that if you are angry, and John says it, if you hate your brother, you are what? A murderer. That's basically what he's saying. It's serious. We wouldn't kill anyone. But what about hating someone? Jesus is saying here that murder starts long before the actual deed is done. Reka is saying, we have contempt for the mind. And this I got through my studying. And fool has the idea of contempt for the heart. If we call our brother, or maybe I should say anyone, worthless, we are basically a murderer. Now, these words, Reka and fool... just say that, you know, when you study into for a message, you, you get the Lord's working on you long before we come here. This calling someone, this is calling someone an idiot, a moron. Fool has the idea of calling him a scoundrel. How are we doing in this? How am I doing in this? Do you know what happens when we do this to someone? We are basically taking the spirit. In fact, I think in my studies I had read someplace we're actually killing the spirit of that person. And we haven't even committed murder yet, but we have killed their spirit. By calling someone an idiot and a moron, And calling them just worthless. You aren't good for anything. We've broken their spirit. We must be reconciled to our fellow man. We can't just say, well, I'm justified to feel this way. I'm justified to be angry with them. After all, do you know what they've done to me? No, it doesn't matter. You know, envy is the mother of hate, and hate is what produces murder. 
And that's what John here is saying. Someone who is envious or has hatred in his heart is not very mature. Someone who is envious or has hatred in his heart is not very mature. Doesn't take long for you to figure that out. We all struggle with this thing of envy, and it's a disease. And left alone, it will produce horrible things in our lives. As we go on here, we see that Jesus is saying, hereby, or John says here in verse 17, but whoso hath this world's good and seeth his brother, not seeth someone out there in the world, not seeing somebody that is down in the gutters, and we went to New York City and we saw the people that were sitting in the slums. That's not what he's talking about here. Yes, it can mean that, but he's saying his brother have need and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him. How dwelleth the love of God in him? If we have hatred in our hearts and we cannot, we don't have fellowship, as I already said, with our brothers and we won't have it with Jesus. I'm just going to read a few verses from Galatians and Revelations. You don't have to turn there. But I want you to catch what is in this list, in these two lists. Galatians 5, 19-21 says this, Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And then in Revelations 21.8, But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Where is our relationship at? Where is our fellowship at with our fellow brothers and sisters that we sit in church with Sunday after Sunday, Wednesday evening after Wednesday evening, and the list goes on and on. Where is the fellowship at? What's the conclusion to all of this? Turn back to the first three verses of chapter 3 of 1 John. How do we have fellowship and maintain it? With Jesus Christ, first of all, and then with each other. Let's read the first three verses here in, in 1 John chapter 3. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew Him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. What, but we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him. For we shall see him as he is, and every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. This morning, what I would like to leave with us, what I would like to challenge us with as we examine our lives, we are the sons of God. He has bestowed a tremendous amount of love upon us that we are even called the sons of God. It is an amazing love. Let us purify ourselves and get rid of any hidden sin and make our calling and election sure 
and let us go on unto perfection, which is maturity. Shall we bow our heads for a word of prayer? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for what it says. These are not easy things that we read this morning, Father. We don't maybe even particularly like to look at them, Father, because they speak to us, Lord. They speak to my heart. Help us, Father, as we look at our lives this morning, that we would purify our hearts and make sure That if there is only a little sand left in the glass, that our calling and election is sure. And we're going on to perfection. Bless this congregation. Thank you, Father, for them. Guide them and direct them as they go through life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Shall we have a song?